And I tell you, time flies. Time truly flies. And so I want to encourage you not to give up on God. Don't give up on God, for he won't give up on you. I like that song. Hallelujah. Let's continue to remember that his faithfulness is what he represents. I've told you before many times, if man promises something, be grateful and uh, be thankful for it. But there's nothing like the promises of God. God is the only one that can promise and make what he promised come to pass. Hallelujah. And so continue to put your trust in him. I find it a privilege to stand before you today to bring the word of God. And I want to welcome you, those of you coming into the service uh, today, and those of you who are joining online. I believe, God, that you are here for something great. In the course of this month, we have traditionally dealt on the theme of love as God inspires us in different ways. I thought we have expounded so many things about love until I was studying for today's message, and it's like we have not even scratched the surface at all. And I find the scriptures very interesting many times, that it's so deep, so rich, so deep, and so rich. So I want to encourage you to open up. Next Sunday will be our special relate Sunday. We normally have it as a special relate weekend, we have not done so in a few years where we have a couple's night and those sort of things. Because of, your, of obvious reasons in our society and our times, we've put back some of those things. Um, but we kept the Sunday. So next Sunday, uh, that is on the 13th, will be our special Relate Sunday. Let's give the Lord a big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. And this will be a day of impartation into our love life. Every kind of our relationships, we're going to be praying over them and trusting God. Relationships are key in life. I have looked at my life many times and I've seen what relationships have done. Relationships are God-ordained. God made sure man relates with another. With the very first relationship he created, we'll be looking into all that next week. But we're going to be dealing with something that, that, that makes relationships hard. This is the spirit of pride. So I'll be talking more about that next week. So we're going to have everyone here, the teenagers, the young people, everybody will be in the house. Then we will not have our normal family service at the end of the month, as we normally, at the last Sunday of the month as we do. But that will be next week. Uh, we've got something to do today. Hallelujah. So I want to also welcome those who are worshiping online. I believe, God, that uh, you are receiving the messages very well. Feel free to share them to Share the messages, the links in your WhatsApp groups and uh, wherever you belong and the things that uh, are the places that you think can, uh, this message just can reach to be a blessing to them also. This is one of the privileged opportunities we have. We are a very, very spoiled generation, I tell you. We are very, very spoiled, I will say. The other day I was talking about when I was invited to a church and uh, I told them I would join them round about now that because I like to finish praise and worship in my in our assembly here and um, Jen just joined them and they said that's fine that's fine so uh, as soon as I got out of the car park the pastor sent me the live YouTube link and um, I just started to play it and it was playing through my car and it was like I was already in the service you know even before reaching there you know things that we could not imagine when I started preaching Never imagined that such a day would ever exist. But we're living right in it. We're living right in it. So only God knows what we'll be doing in five years' time, Jesus starting to come. So let's make the most of these opportunities God is giving to us to be people who can spread the word of God so easily, more than ever before. 
And may God help us in Jesus' name. Today's title, we are starting a brand new series today called Living in the Power of the Love of God. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Let's give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Living in the power of the love of God. The love of God is a force. Somebody say it's a force. Say it is a force. It is a conquering power. Say it is a conquering power. The love of God is a conquering power. That is why you and I are here today. That's why we are here. We are here today because a force was released that conquered your soul and conquered my soul. It is a conquering power. And God gave us that love so that we can also live in the power of it. And this is what this title, this theme today is. The title today in this series, as we start the first session, is The Power to Love People. The Power to Love People. I don't know if our banner is ready. We have a new banner for the year, uh, for this month and next month, where we'll be looking at those topics. But it is the power to love people. The very first topic in that uh, banner is our series. And I want to trust God. That is the banner. Thank you. It says the love of God. And uh, the first one is love people. This is one of those pictures I took by myself. I did not download it from anywhere. I took it myself. I was in the country of Albania with my friend Keith Poole, December 2018. And uh, I just got stunned. We got to this place. It's a very, very ancient town with a lot of features. And we got to this place, and I was fascinated by the landscape. Some of those buildings were built in the 14th century, 15th century. So it's really fantastic. And, and I saw the terrain, you know. The only other place I've seen a mountain stretch that looks so beautiful was South Africa, a place called the Table Mountain. It looks like a lion lying down. A mountain, a whole mountain. And this looks like, you know, carefully chamfered, uh, uh, you know, patterns on this, on this feature. These things remind us of God. God is awesome. Say to your neighbor for me, God is awesome. Hallelujah. And why he gives us these features and these things around us is to keep reminding us. Every time we look at the natural things that God has done, let's remember God. Let's remember God. And then when you remember God, remember his love. Hallelujah. So we're talking about the love of God. We will have eight topics. This is the only one we will talk about the power to love. The next seven topics, we'll be talking about the power to hate. Someone say, the power to hate. Are you afraid? Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I've not gone crazy. <laughs> Don't say, Pastor, ah, this one is serious. What are we hating? Who are we hating? <laughs> I will show you some things the Bible says God hates. And if you love God, you will hate those things as well. So you will hate pride, you will hate deception, you will hate bloodshed, you will hate wickedness, you will hate evil associations, you will hate false witnessing, and you will also hate sowing discord. So now I hope you are getting it. Those of you who are Bible students, we know exactly where I have picked those from. So there are things that God loves. Someone say there are things that God loves, and there are things that God hates. The first thing we are told that God loves is people. People. This is why we are starting the series with the greatest thing God loves. People. People. And then we will go on to look at the things that God hates. Hallelujah. So God's love for mankind is so vast. It is unparalleled and it is all-encompassing. God is all out for man. And I always say to people, if you want to be on the wrong side of God, be a hater of people. If you want to just 
make yourself somebody that God will be fighting consistently. You just hate people. It's not a difficult thing at all. Anybody that loves people, whoever they are, Hindu, Muslim, no, no religion, Christian, Jewish, whatever they are, if they love people, they are in his good books first. I didn't say they are in the book of life, but they are in his good books because God works with those who love people. So this is why this theme, and throughout this week, I believe God will be expounding us to the importance of loving people and the power to love people because you need his power to do it. Let's start from the very famous uh, narrative of Jesus in John 3, 16 and 17. Jesus spoke these words to Nicodemus and he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We quickly jump to the everlasting life because that is what it's about. But the key thing there is God so loved the world. God so loved people. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The world through his son Jesus Christ might be saved. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. This is why when Christians use the message of the gospel to condemn others, they are not doing what God is doing, what God has done. We don't condemn people. We have no right to condemn anybody. You have no right to condemn any human being whatsoever. You have, you have no right. I have no right. Whatever their state is, whatever their situation is, whatever they say is their belief or no belief, whatever they say is their sexual preference or none, whatever they say they are, you have no right. Somebody say no right. Put back verse 17. Say, I have no right to condemn anyone. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That is where your power is. Prayer, intercession, friendship, loving, so that through him they can be saved. Because we have, over the years, consciously or unconsciously, as the body of Christ, I have lived and served God on three continents ever since I was born. And uh, I have found it's the same thing. We suddenly become people who are self-righteous, looking at ourselves better than other people. We don't say it. As a matter of fact, we say things that are different to that. But our attitude and the way we, we snub people, we look down on people, is nothing different from those Pharisees that looked at that woman who was identified as a wayward woman and who was, who was pouring oil on the feet of Jesus, very expensive oil, and she was wiping it with her own hair. And they were saying, if this man was truly a prophet, he would have known the manner of woman that this was, because they knew her as a wayward woman. Even the Samaritan woman we celebrate so much was an evangelist. When she got back to town, they say, we are going there not because of your word. She was so despised. But she didn't care. As long as she was concerned, she has preached to them. <laughs> they say, we will follow you, but not because of what you say. <laughs> she was so despised. And there is very little difference today in the body of Christ if we don't really take time to see that we're living like those Pharisees and Sadducees who always felt that we were more righteous. Jesus went into the house of tax collectors and people say, which kind of man is this? Always sitting with sinners. Always liking to, to, to move around sinners. People like Zacchaeus. People that everybody had labeled outcasts. 
cheats, fraud. What some countries will call 419. They were living like that. They were people who looked hopeless and who looked like they had no hope, but he came because of them. So God said he didn't come to condemn the world. I want us to start from there so that everything that wells up on your inside at any point in time to make you look at somebody and say, what is this? What is this talking like this? Nonsense. Even if you don't bring out the words, you say it in your heart. God hears. God, you say, don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. That is my child. You don't know whether that is the next great move of God. That same person that looked reckless, wretched, looks like no going anywhere person, looks like finished today. You don't know whether that is the next anointed one God is raising up to become the one that will bring the biggest of revivals that our times have seen. You have no clue. I always ask this question every time. I speak to leaders especially. I'm privileged to speak to leaders from time to time. I always ask them, where was Saul of Tarsus on the day of Pentecost? Think about it. The man we celebrate today, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He did this and that. On the day the visitation of the Holy Spirit that was to birth the church came, he was nowhere to be found. He was actually still a sinner. He himself said he was a chief sinner. (laughs) He was persecuting anybody that looked like Christian that time. That was his work. So if God put examples like that for us to see, and we still do not realize that everyone we see, whether they are saved or unsaved, are loved by God and are a potential in the hand of God, then we will not be able to love God like he, to love people like he wants us to do. So God therefore commands us not to just enjoy this love for ourselves, but to extend it to others. First, to love him in return and to love others. Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. One of our core values as a church is in fact our first core value as a church is to love God and to love one another. To love God and to love one another. And we pick it from these verses in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That means with your willpower, with your emotions, with your intellect. Surrender it to God. Love God with it. He said, this is the first, verse 38, and great commandment. Verse 39 says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The second, say with me, the second is like it. That is to say, even though we call it number two, it is as good as being number one. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't say you may. He didn't say if you like. He said you shall. It's a command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40. He said on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So you want to be a person that understands what the law that came before Christ was and what the prophets that came before him. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 that in verse 1 that God who at sundry time had spoken through the prophets now is speaking to us through his son. That his very son now says there are two things you must keep doing. Just love the Lord your God with all your heart. So when people come and tell you that the Ten Commandments have been dealt with, have been done with by the blood of Jesus, and that Jesus never preached the Ten Commandments, what they are doing is they don't understand that the two commandments that Jesus preached and said we should follow have encapsulated the Ten. 
Because if you love God, you will love the day of worship. You will not desecrate the Sabbath day as it were, the day of worship, to keep it holy. If you love God, you will love him with all your heart. If you love people, you will honor your parents. If you love people, you will not covet your neighbor's wife or property or neighbor's things. Hallelujah. If you love people, you will not lie against them and so on. So when you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself, you have obeyed everything that God laid out clearly first in the, in the, in the law as it were. So he said, you must love your neighbor as yourself. And there is a power to do that. Romans chapter 5, we read it today in, the, in our Bible reading. Bro, God's power led us powerfully in verse 1 to verse 11. I'll pick a few verses, just about two verses from there. But I want to encourage you to read it very well in the context of what we are doing this week. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, it says, Therefore, you and I, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Say, I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And I've always told you, you can never have the peace of God if you don't make peace with God. The peace of God is only given as an exclusive gift to those who have made peace with God. Many people want to enjoy the peace of God, but they don't want to make peace with God. Paul said, therefore, having been justified by faith, having been saved by faith, having been delivered by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, and these are the very things. Our, our perseverance will give us character, and our character will give us hope. And verse 5, the next verse we're going to read, he said, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by who? The Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God has been poured in your heart, in my heart, by the Holy Spirit. So our justification, when we came to Christ and we said, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Revelation 3.20 says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. If you open, I will come in and sup with you and you with me. So what happens is that when we come, we receive him. We let him into our lives. We receive him and we make him our Lord and Savior. That becomes our justification. The Bible says great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh and he was justified in the spirit. We have done that series here before. And we say our being born again is what takes us from just being manifested in the flesh to being justified in the spirit and becoming children of God. He said to us, now that we are justified by faith, we are people of hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is why you must understand the wonder-working power of the Holy Spirit in you is what will help you to love people. You cannot love people in the flesh. You cannot use your intellect to love people. As a matter of fact... Your intellect will tell you many reasons why you should not love certain people. <laughs> your, your logical reasoning, <laughs> your sense will tell you A, B, C, why you should not love. But the working of the Holy Spirit, look at what Paul said to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. He said, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. Look why. He said, for you yourselves are what? I, 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 read it with me. It's on the screen. 
Let's read it together. Okay, let's start from the beginning. Let's go. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. The Holy Spirit is at work in you, always telling you to love. Don't quench it. The Bible says we should not quench the Spirit. Don't quench it. You are taught by God. And then he advised them further in verse 10. He said, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are who are in all Macedonia. Very good. You can do it among yourselves. You, you have a way of loving your family members. You have a way of loving your church brethren. That is very good. That is very good. He said, you do it. He said, but we urge you, brethren, that you what? Increase. Somebody say increase. That means spread out some more. Look at those ones that you always disregard. Look at those ones that you have labeled are unlovable. Increase in your love. Reach them as well. It's very easy to love fellow Christians. It's very easy. It's very easy to love your spouse, especially if you are truly in love with them. It's very easy. It's very easy to love your child. It's very easy to love those people around you. It's very easy to love people who give you money. <laughs> One of the very funny comedians in my country, I will not tell you his name so you don't go and be following him. I just stumbled into one of his jokes and he said, it was very funny. It makes no sense, but it's funny. <laughs> Some things don't make sense, but they're funny. He said that in their family that they always resemble people that give them money. <laughs> he said that is the biggest problem of their family. He said if their father was giving them money when they were growing up, all the children, they look like the father. <laughs> he said if the, the money stops from the father and then suddenly it's the mom that is giving them money. <laughs> They start looking like their mother again. <laughs> he said they did not know they have a problem until there was a time. The father did not have money and the mother did not have money and their landlord was giving them money and they started looking like the landlord. <laughs> I said that is a chronic problem. <laughs> I don't know how they think of those things at times, but it was really funny to me, really funny to me. <laughs> but you know something? It's very easy to love people that give you things, people that make you glad. There are certain people that are a work for you to love. God said you have to increase in tapping into the spirit to be able to love those people. He commanded the Thessalonians. They were, a very, they were a very peaceful church. They were a loving church. They were a giving church. He talked so highly of them. He told them those things like rejoice evermore, what we call the great scriptures. Rejoice forevermore in all things. Give thanks for this is the will of God concerning you. He loved that church. But he said, I notice that you can increase more in your love because you are limiting the power of love to the people that are easier to love. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he was saying to them. He said, you don't need to be taught by me again. Just the same God who has taught you to love these people you love is the same one that is at work in you. The Bible says the Holy Spirit, Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when he is sent, he will guide you into all truth. And the truth is that you should love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and also to love your neighbor as yourself. So the Holy Spirit guides you into how to love like that. The Bible uses several words for love both in the ancient text of Hebrews and Greek, most of them, when you interpret them, they mean things like affectionate love, friendship. In the case of spousal love, we call them erotic or sexual love. And so these things are defined very clearly. And we should know which love we should walk in at any point in time. Even though love is commanded to be loved by all, there are different categories of love 
that you are not permitted to walk in certain areas. Don't say because they've asked you to love somebody, then you get involved with another person that is not your spouse and say, we are sharing, <laughs> we are sharing love. That is not love. <laughs> you are committing adultery or fornication. That is not love at all. That is exclusively reserved for those that have come into the covenant of marriage and are understood by God as one who have come together. But we have affectionate love that we can show affection to one another as brethren. We have friendship love that we can show friendship. I want to quickly talk about those things. But we all know that the greatest love of all is the love that God himself demonstrates, which we all know is the agape love of God. This kind of love is referring to the benevolent and charitable love that God demonstrates, that is always seeking the best for the ones he loves. This is why when God demonstrated it to man, he gave his best to get our best. Our best in life is to make a commitment to him. So he gave his only begotten son. So agape love underpins what the Holy Spirit teaches us, even if we are to walk in every other kind of love. It is always underpinned by agape love. The Bible gives many examples of love that we can learn from. We are not going to go into all these scriptures, but I will remind you, I will ask you to write them down and, and look through them. And those of you that would share in the course of the week, feel free to expand on some of these some more for the benefit of every one of us. The love that existed between Boaz and Ruth. This is found in Ruth chapter 1, particularly from chapter 2 to chapter 4. The whole book of Ruth is just four chapters, very powerful book. But the truth is that this kind of love is a caring provision love. We quickly jump to the fact that Ruth, Boaz married Ruth, and that's what we remember mostly, which is good. They gave birth to, gave rise to the child they, 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 they had together in the person of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. So fantastic story there. But let's take a step back. When Boaz saw Ruth, he was not first interested in marriage. That was not the first reason. He just saw a person that he needed to care for. He was a relation of the, 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 the in-law, that, that is her father, Ruth's father-in-law, who was married to Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. And Boaz just expressed caring love for this one vulnerable woman. And, of course, out of that, God brought about the, the product of marriage and the many other things, as I've said, that came out of that. My point for us today is that we have an, op an, uh, an opportunity to demonstrate caring love to people around us all the time. Now, it doesn't mean that all of it will always lead to marriage or something like that, but it can. It can. There are many people who have missed their spouses because they did not see the that the opportunity to demonstrate this kind of caring love was one that could lead them to a spouse. I am a benefactor of this. I tell you, some of you know my story. I'm a very ben great benefactor of this. The day I got my wife, I was not looking for wife. In fact, if there was anything, I was against marriage at that point in time because I had just suffered a, a kind of a relational issue where somebody I thought I was going to marry uh, decided to walk away on me, from me. Somebody say, oh. I've done that for almost 30 years, and it's <laughs> everywhere I go, I'll keep asking for that all. <laughs> because I, we, 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 I thought I thought I found a sister. 
See, I finished university very early. I was 20 years old. And I said, Lord, why should I waste my life? I want to get married. I want, by the time I'm 40, my first child to be about 20. That would be a fantastic thing. I like that. I didn't quite make it, but I almost got it. <laughs> and uh, the truth is this. I, she was an architect. Love God. We met in the fellowship. She was an architect, and she could sing. Somebody said she could sing. So I, you know, I was a civil engineer, structural engineer. I felt this is the best combination, man. I'm a preacher. She's a singer. She's an architect. I'm an engineer. My mind was all over the place. We've made it, man. <laughs> so we we're going to have this mega firm that will be collecting big, big projects. So she will be running the architectural division. I'll be running the engineering division. Big vision. And then the, the biggest of it was that when I'm preaching, she will stand by my side and be singing, just as I am, without one plea. <laughs> I was only 21, don't blame me. <laughs> my life that time, any, any sister that was just, we met in fellowship, I was just looking for a wife. We met in fellowship, you are a Christian, God bless you, how are you? The next thing I'm asking, marriage? <laughs> so that's how I asked her, she said yes. <laughs> Until one day she just hung out of my life like that. <laughs> and I didn't see her again. Somebody say, oh. So I just come out of that. I was really pained. I was really pained. I didn't want to talk to any lady anymore, especially if the person says he's a sister. <laughs> so to cut the long story short, I was taken into this vehicle that was going somewhere and we had to travel as a group. I was already a postgraduate student on the campus. And um, so I was part of the postgraduate fellowship, and the, the guys in the undergraduate fellowship, because this is Nigeria, they show a lot of respect and so on. They came and met me. They said, come and follow us on this, uh, in this bus. We had to go as part of a group. And I said, no, I've booked a taxi. I'm going by my taxi and all that. And they said, no, 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 no. You have to follow us. Anyway, I succumbed to them. I didn't know that that was leading me to my wife. So as I sat down where I was given a seat, Later on, this lady came and sat down next to me. And then she started singing some songs. I said, God, you have brought one of them again. I said, I'm not going to say one word to this one. Thank God, she's your child. She was going to heaven, so what's my own? <laughs> I didn't want to say one word to her. Not one word. And then she was speaking. There was another person on the other side of the seat. And they were, they were classmates before, so they knew each other. I didn't know her or the other man. And uh, they were speaking, and uh, I just left it until she said something like, I'm just praying that one day God will lead me to the person that fears God. I couldn't resist it anymore. <laughs> I said, you, you have to fear God first. Before you get... <laughs> that was the first words I said to her. I said, for you to find the person that fears God, you too, you should fear God. She said, I love God. And then we started speaking. To cut the long story short, three days after that, I proposed to her again. <laughs> God had mercy on me this time. <laughs> but the truth is, I wasn't looking for marriage that day. God is my witness. Boaz wasn't looking for marriage. He was just showing care, trying to get involved in somebody's life. Many of us must understand that love is like a seed. When you sow it, it has a way of coming back. This is why the greatest seed ever sown was sown by God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. 
Millions of us, if not billions, in the last 24 hours and in the next 24 hours are gathering all over the world because of that one seed. Because of that one seed that was sown by God. So every one of us has an opportunity to show caring provision. At times, we must go all out to demonstrate this love by giving of the things that we have. Boaz made it easier for Ruth to be able to glean the wheat. And life became smoother and smoother until God led them into marriage. And then it became a blessing to both of them. The second type of love is that we have the opportunity for deep friendship. Somebody say deep friendship. Say deep friendship. Deep friendship was exhibited by Jonathan and David. I'm just giving you some of the scriptures. 1 Samuel 18.1 says Jonathan loved David. 2 Samuel 1.26, much later after David had died, after Jonathan had died, and uh, it was a big pain to David. The Bible says that David lamented Jonathan's death. And he said that his love for Jonathan was more wonderful than the love of a woman. That is found in 2 Samuel 1.26. Now many people have uh, sadly, erroneously misread this scripture to mean that they had some kind of a sexual relationship. That's never said by scripture and that was never the connotation of it. If you know David very well, he was very hot with women. I say it was hot with women. So talking about any other kind of thing was out of it for him. He was somebody who was very, very interested in women, and uh, it was clear. In fact, he fought Goliath because of a woman. Uh, you, you didn't read your Bible? They said, what will be given to the person? They said, the king's daughter. He said, daughter, give me the... <laughs> All that taxes of the family that... Uh, that's not the issue. They said, woman, give me, give me the... <laughs> So everybody who's reading the, the relationship between David and Jonathan as other thing, they've missed the point. But what David is saying is that if you can think of the love between a man and a woman that really love each other, the love that I had with Jonathan exceeds that. It's a deep love. How we have lost that kind of friendship in our day and age. Not too many people again, I tell you, can vouch, can say, this my friend, this my friend can stand with me anywhere, anytime. Because we have de-emphasized the power of the working of the Spirit in us and not allowed ourselves. We have grown cold, so we build silos and we are very, very cautious with each other. And the truth of the matter is that this was the relationship that spared David's life. At times, you need that kind of relationship this was the relationship that spared David's life that, would, that made it impossible for Saul, Jonathan's father, to kill David. If not for that relationship, the David, King David we celebrate today would have been a dead man. So you and I must understand that where God is opening up a relationship that should be deep, not for carnal reasoning whatsoever, but deep. And, and qualitative to the point whereby we can stand for each other, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. We should let it be. We can't have it with everybody, but there are certain people that God has earmarked that in life. God knew that if Jonathan did not have that kind of a relationship with, even his father was saying that, what is wrong with you? Don't you know that you are the potential king? Why are you supporting this guy? First Samuel chapter 18. He said, why are you supporting him? Why are you pre preventing him? Can't you see that he's about to take your place? But that love exceeded Jonathan's own desire. Oh, how I wish God can help us and lead us to such friends again. 
that whereby we can develop deep friendship where we can stand with each other. The truth is, until we walk in the provisions of God in certain areas, we will suffer certain things. We can pray all we want. David could have been praying and doing everything if he did not walk in the provision of Jonathan as a deep friend who would love him beyond himself and care for him beyond himself. David would have died. Let us not take light of these things. Now, I am very careful and cautious. I know we live in very different times and different things, people with different levels of, 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 of understanding of things and so on and so forth. In fact, our world is so cruel now that you've got to be very careful that at times when you are building some relationships, they, you need to understand the motive that, that the, on the, the person on the other side has in their own mind. Because I've been there where I had very clean, clear motives, but the other person did not see it that way. And I find that this is the reality of our world today. We must be people who understand very carefully that there are still people who God will put in your heart to love and put in their heart to love you. Don't be discouraged from going into such deep friendship love because there is always a fruit and a reward from it. The other one is the passionate love. Of course, this is this is more of the erotic kind of love that we talked about, which existed between Solomon and the Shulamite, the Bible calls her. This is all the whole book of the Song of Solomon. That is a very powerful poetic book that most of us don't read. When we read it, we say, what is this kind of carnal thing? It's not a carnal thing in the Bible. It is just God expressing the depth of love that should exist. It talks about how people should look at each other in courtship. If you read from chapter 1 to chapter 3, there about to verse 5, it talks about how courtship can be qualitative. Those of you who are young lovers today and are planning for marriage, make your courtship life a qualitative life. Pray together. Appreciate one another. Plan together. This is your opportunity to dream together. This is your opportunity to see the future together and plan and strategize and do those things that many people never did in their time and they are having to do them much later with more pain and more difficulties. Plan together where you want to be. I told my wife when I first met her, I said, the last thing I'm going to be is a pastor. I said, if the day I tell you I'm going to become a pastor, just know that God himself has spoken to me about it. Because I grew up around pastors and I knew definitely that it's not something I wanted for my own life. I knew I would preach, but my plan was that I would be doing my profession and doing whatever, and then whenever I have opportunity to go and do itinerant preaching, I'll go and do it. That was my plan. God is my witness. But I told her those things. So the day... God now said, I need you to go into a church plant. She didn't argue with me one bit. Because I had told her that if you hear me say this, just know. And she lived with me for years before that time. She saw how I was itinerant and enjoying my itinerant ministry. So, but the day, but you see, if you don't go to that depth in courtship, it has caused problems. Some people say, God, call them. The wife say, call you where? <laughs> to do what? With who? <laughs> He said, with you, let's go together. He said, I'm going nowhere from today. Your God is your God. My God is my God. It's not like Ruth that says, your God is my God. We have seen it cause many problems. Or somebody just uproots the family. Say, God is calling me to go to Saudi Arabia. Huh? Saudi Arabia? He said, are you sure it's God? He said, yes, I'm very, very sure. He said, God will have to talk to me first. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
So use your courtship time to speak those nice words and to plan and pray together. Then use your wedding time, the time you're actually consummating the, the marriage, in Song of Solomon chapter 3 from verse 6 to roundabout chapter 5 verse 1, it talks about all the things that they, they were talking about in consuming that relationship where they were really expectant of each other. Song of Solomon chapter 4 verse 16, he said that they, she prayed that, oh, awake, oh, no, arise, oh, north winds, arise, oh, south winds, and blow over my garden and let, your, let my, uh, uh, my, my prince come in to eat of the garden. Beautiful stuff. And they interceded for each other. They longed to see each other. These are some of the things we must understand. That the power to live in passionate love is the wisdom that God gives to us. Many couples have lost this. If you read their their marriage life from chapter 5 verse 2 right to the end of chapter 8, you will find that they were talking about going to different places and doing things together. That we will travel to a place and we will sit together. These are things that are very important in passionate love. Passionate love is not just about going to work at night, going to work, coming back at night, and then just going in, and then doing that, and then going again, and then keeping that love going. You need to be creative about it. Read scriptures like this. When he says some things, because of children, I will quote it very well. When he says some things are like twin towers, he's not making you carnal. He's telling you to appreciate your wife like that. That is coded language. Some of you are looking at me. What is Twin Towers? Go to New York and see what is. <laughs> it's no longer there. The site is there. Ground Zero is there. <laughs> you will see the picture. <laughs> so I won't say more than that because the way you are looking at me is our pastor say, go and read Song of Solomon. Anywhere you see Twin Towers said by Solomon, I leave the rest to you to understand. But that simply means appreciate. Appreciate. Always do it. What are you putting on weight? Putting on weight. Why are you putting on this weight? Look at your tummy. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> There's no wisdom in that. Passionate love means you will use sense. You will use sense to say, honey, can we go jogging next week? You <laughs> say, which day did you start jogging? No, 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 no. I just, I just think we need to jog, man. <laughs> Then you take a step further and buy the tracksuits. You buy one for you, one for her. Even if it's around your block, you you chuck it. (laughs) We sit and they say, say, look at you. You are putting on weight. You just, I don't know what's wrong with you. Hey, okay. (laughs) And then the worst is you say, can't you be like sister? That day, (laughs) that day you go and marry that sister. (laughs) Or those of you that compare your wife's cooking to your mother's own. She said, my mother didn't used to cook. Like, eh, okay, you will go to your village. And <laughs> your mother will cook for you from there. <laughs> Instead of when she served the soup and it's, the thing is not got enough salt. You say, honey, this is, this is, can I have some salt? Just a little, just a little salt. <laughs> he said, are you saying it's not salty? No, 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 just a little salt. <laughs> just a little salt. So she get the message. Next time, hopefully, the salt will be better. If it's not better, ask for another little one again. <laughs> Until it's right. Hallelujah. <laughs> Let me move on. <laughs> then the enduring commitment of Hosea. Enduring commitment of Hosea. Hosea was a man who God told specifically. We never heard God speak to anybody like that again. To go and marry a harlot. Very unique stuff this man went through. Just to demonstrate to Hosea, his prophet, what level of wardom 
his own children were walking in when they went after other gods. Hosea 1, 2 said, the Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of Wadom and have children of Wadom. Very, very deep stuff. And Hosea obeyed. And then in Hosea chapter 3, after this woman went away, had children, went away, went about, messing about. Hosea 3, 1, again, God said to, after Goma had left Hosea and living in morality, the Lord commanded Hosea to go and find and buy her back. Just to show what he did when he sent his only begotten son. Now, what does that relate to us today? Friends, that does not mean you should go and marry somebody like that. That's not what it means. But what he's saying today is that you should come to the place where you have an enduring commitment to relationships. Enduring commitment. We don't love because of what the other person is doing. If we were like that and God's love to us was like that, none of us would have ever received the love. The Bible says, in that whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We love, say with me, we love other people because we are commanded to love them. So when we don't understand this, it becomes a problem. You say, how can I love this person? They are so unlovable. It is so difficult to relate with them. They don't even listen. What God is saying like Hosea and Goma, what God is saying is that you keep loving because God said to love that person. Now, I have always said this, that this has nothing to do with permitting evil. And then the person saying that, you see, you have been commanded to love me. That is who I am. You have to love me like that. That is manipulation and it is a sin. We should not live like that. And by the way, Nowhere in the scripture where the Bible commands us to demand for love. No one verse, not the words of Jesus, not the words of anybody that says demand for love. No. So when you say you have to love me like that, you're already out of scripture. You're already out of line. Say, if you can't take me like that, you have to love me like that. Uh -uh. You're already out of line. Because the commandment is for you to love and for them to love you. Love, say with me, love gives. Love gives, and then it receives of that which is given. It never demands. So, God so loved the world, he... God so loved the world, he... This is it. You give. He gave. You give. Then we received of that love. But when he gave it, we were still sinners. This is so important. And I say this to everyone especially in leadership positions that you must understand that your commandment to love your wife, your children, the people that you work with and the people in the church or the people around you, the commandment to love is not one that you negotiate. It's not one that you do because they are treating you nice. I have been treated very harshly in some times, in some cases, I'm a person who has enjoyed a lot of love of people. I must say, very honestly, I must say, 60-70% of my life I have been surrounded by people who I love and truly love me and we have had fantastic relationships. But I have had some very, very, very bitter uh, uh, um, situations whereby it was very difficult. 
But what I find is that the more I choose to love, the more I nullify those things that the enemy tries to do. The Bible says love covers what? A multitude of sin. Love is so powerful that it, it overcomes. That's why Martin Luther said that we cannot in any way drive out darkness with darkness. Only light can do that. And that we cannot drive out hatred. Only love can do that. When you love and love and love, what happens is that you give yourself the opportunity to stay on top and to be in control of such relationships. So when uh, Hosea was loving Goma, what he was doing is giving himself the opportunity to continue to stay in charge. And at the end of the day, God proved to Hosea what his children were doing to him and how he also managed to stay in charge. Oh, how we need this kind of loving passion in our lives again in our generation. Many marriages would have been saved. Many, many marriages would have been saved. Many church splits would have not have happened. Many people would have found that what the enemy does in bringing hatred and bitterness and making the, both parties to buy it is always what leads to disintegration of relationships. We must not allow it. Hosea never ever uttered a word to Goma to say, what kind of a woman are you? You are so useless. You are such a this and that and call her names like would have been rightly done in the sense of that's exactly what she was doing. But Hosea stood on the commandment of God to continue to love. This is your power base. The power base of a Christian is in obedience. What empowers the Holy Spirit in you to help you walk in the power of that love is in your obeying the word to love. God is always committed to people who want to demonstrate his love. God empowers them. He stabilizes their emotions. May God continue to give us this power to love. In the name of Jesus. Very close to that is the sacrificial saving love of Christ. That's the fifth one. The sacrificial saving love of Christ. Every one of us must understand. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Paul said, husband, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. He didn't give her a gift. He gave her himself. God gave him to us and he gave himself for us. So he said, husband, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify. Now look at that. The giving of himself for her is for these reasons. Number 26, verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. Verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. Thank you. With the washing of the water by the word. But for that sanctification to take place, he gave himself first. Many husbands are looking for a sanctification, a change, a transformation, a progress in their spouses. But what they don't understand is that this pattern is what Christ has left for her. Give yourself. Give yourself what? Give yourself to prayer. Give yourself to consistency. Give yourself to giving. Give yourself to loving. Every day, then it gives you the platform for sanctification and cleansing. It gives you a platform for a new person to be born out of that relationship. This is what Hosea also did consistently to Goma who did not deserve it one bit. Verse 27. That he might then, let's read verse 27 together. This is the whole point of it. Verse 27. Everybody, let's go now. That he might present her to himself. A glorious church. Not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she should be holy and without blemish. <laughs> he did not look at the blemish and be put off by it. He gave himself first. He gave himself first. He committed himself. 
He committed himself to seeing that person and then he cleansed her and sanctified her by the washing of the water by the word. Every couple, every marriage in this church, I want you to make the word of God the foundation. Anything that is not in scripture is not permitted. Any principle that is not in scripture, don't say this is the way the world thinks now. No. Go back to the Bible. Hallelujah. Go back to the word of God. Anything that is not of God is not permitted. The washing of the water, the sanctification that will help you to present her to himself and help you to to be presented to him in one accord, in unity and in love at all times comes on the platform of the washing of the water by the word. But husbands, verse 28, so husbands ought to also love their own wives as their own bodies. As their own bodies. He who loves his wife. Go to verse 28, please. Verse 28. He who loves his wife loves himself. He who loves his wife loves himself. This is very deep, particularly for spousal relationships. But we must also understand that every relationship we have must be founded on the word of God. Even if the other person is not a Christian. Everyone we are to relate with in our workplaces. Let's apply the word of God. There is always the word that applies. The Bible says evil communication corrupts good manners. So if you are in the company of somebody that you are working, you are loving them because you are commanded to love them, but they start evil communication, you distract, you, de- you detach. You make sure that you don't allow. We are going to talk about evil association later on in this series, but you don't sit there in the name of love. Jesus was never polluted by the work of the tax collectors. Jesus never slept with Mary Magdalene or any of those women that were around him and had a checkered history. Jesus did not lure the Samaritan woman into one place after preaching to her and saying, you see, you have to pay me back for something. He never said any of those kind of nonsense. He stood on the integrity of God's word and reached out to love as much as God. He said, he who loves his wife loves himself. Let us continue to be consistent in knowing that we show love because God first loved us. God's love has many attributes which we have to emulate. Paul was speaking in 1 Corinthians 13. We're not going to read it because of time. He said, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love does not seek its own. Love does not keep a record of wrongs. If you want to see love, if you want to be able to love people, you have to be a patient person. You have to learn the patience of God. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved. He is patient. He is patient. So you need to learn to be patient with people. God is patient. He is patient with you. He was patient with you. He is still patient with you. He will continue to be patient with you. So you have no reason whatsoever to be impatient with others. Patience means you are willing to wait. You are willing to wait it out until God brings about this change that is so needed. You are willing to submit to your, to, 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 your, to your God and you are willing to submit to his will and purpose in your life so that you are, you are not, dis, you are not uh, cheated out of what God wants for you. Love is kind. Love is always reaching out. Love is always willing to give. Love is always willing to bless. Love is always willing to show kindness. Love is always willing to show mercy. Love does not envy. It amazes me how much envy has split many relationships today. You will see two people start at a particular level. Then it suddenly seems as if one is going and uh, advancing and then advancing. And then envy sets in on the part of the other person. And automatically that relationship is scarred. We must not live like that. 
Some of you who are here on our 8th anniversary. Was it 8th anniversary? 2020 was, sorry. <laughs> that was 7th anniversary now. 2020, 7th anniversary. And I, uh, we, we zoomed in. My friend and colleague from Abuja, Nigeria, a very, very bosom friend of mine for well over 20 years, about 25 years now, that we used to sing together in a worship band in, in our church at that point in the early 90s. And uh, he started ministry as far back as 2000. So, you know, we've been friends. I was his best man in his marriage. Just a month before my marriage, he got married November 1995. I got married December. And we, we just started out life like that. And um, before I knew it, a few years after, my first child came. My second child came. We celebrated it together. We waited five years, six years, seven years. My third child came. And then we went like that. It kept on going, kept on going. Before I knew what was happening, as at 2020, it was the 25th year. 25th year, my friend and I were waiting. And we were in touch every time. There was never anything that looked like envy on his part. Not once. When he started ministry in 2000, and I was still very much, you know, doing my things and going about. Never anything that looked like envy of where he was in terms of ministry. We've been friends. We stay friends. And every time we met, all I will charge is my brother, I know God was going to do it. I know God was going to do it. Those of you that would remember early on that year, just before our anniversary, God gave them a wonderful song that is today uh, a very, very big testimony of how God can still be faithful. I say God is always faithful. And so, but we never allowed anything called envy. Don't be envious. The most demonic envy is when a husband is envying his wife or a wife is envy. I don't understand that. The woman is advancing. She is the one that seems to be advancing in a career. And then the man seems to be envious. That is not of God. Don't you know that God is giving to every family and every relationship the way that he would desire that they grow? It is not envious. It is not selfish. It's not self-seeking. Don't seek your own. Always think about other people. Don't keep a record of wrongs. <laughs> you want to keep a record of wrongs? You will have a long list. You will have a long list because there will be wrongs you will have to be finding every day <laughs> until you decide that you will not keep a record of wrongs. Then it will seem as if wrong things are not happening again. Believe me. Know your spouse. And believe me, let me give you one news today. There are some things that will never change about your spouse. Even if until Jesus comes, it's not a cause. They are born like that and they will be like that. And there are some things that will change, but they will take time. And there are some things that will change instantaneously. So whether it's you as the man or you as the, or the woman, you must understand that you need to walk in love and not keep a record of wrongs. Just be praying that you continue to conform to the image of Christ. That is all you both do. Don't stay because I say some things will not change. Don't stay. Work on yourself to be more like Christ. Let them work on themselves to be more like Christ. When you do that, what happens is that you take away the room for a record of wrongs. The same thing among brothers and sisters. Many people have found it difficult to get along with the saints because every time they, they are part of a church, in next to no time, this one is offending them this way, that one is offending them. And if you want to keep a record of that, you will find people will offend you in different ways <laughs> because you are also offending them in different ways. <laughs> we are, as long as we are in this body, the flesh will be evident from time to time. We have to work on it to let the spirit of love on our inside help us not. I have a simple formula that I give to everybody. Everyone you come across, find something positive that you will hold on to for the rest of your life. 
everything that you know about them. Let one thing be there that you know that you, you will never forget of the good they did. Even if it's just the first day you saw them and you felt happy about meeting them. It helps you to cement your relationship for a long time. I conclude this today by telling us that we must never keep our eyes off Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. It is all because of him that we enjoy that love and because of him and by him that we will continue to manifest it. 1 John 4, verse 7. He said, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 7. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. Verse 8 says, For God is love. I say God is love. He said, in this, the love of God was manifested, verse 9, that toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live. That is to say that we might also love through him. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's read verse 11 together. Beloved, let's go. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Look at your neighbor and say it to them. Say, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let us get rid of those barriers. Let's get rid of those things that the enemy always sets up to make it difficult for people to love. And God will be doing awesome things in our lives. I say God will be doing awesome things in, your, in our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. Let's rise to our feet. It's time for communion. Well, well.